This episode is brought to you by the Digital Marketing and Analytics for Sports Professionals course. Check out the show notes for all the details. You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. That's why I say sometimes that as much as we are the most successful, as much as we are the biggest club in Malaysia, we are still probably the most hated club in Malaysia because of, number one, the success we've had, and number two, how we've put ourselves out there. Uh, we've tied up with UNICEF, we've tied up with Aston Martin Racing, uh, and that's the direction that this club wants to take. We want to go out there, and we're not just held in Malaysia, but out there as well, everywhere. We actually genuinely believe that we've got the best facilities in Southeast Asia. Uh, in fact, if you ask me, I think we have some of the best football facilities in Asia. Hello there, welcome to Sports Content Strategy. My name is Richard Clark. My guest this time, VJ Vic, who is the head of content at JDT, the most successful football team in Malaysia by some way. They've won the last seven titles in a row, and at the time of recording, they were about to get their eighth. And of course, that's a very specific content problem. How do you tell a story around such success? They've been pretty out there, I suppose you could say, on social media. It's made them not always the most popular team in Malaysia, despite being the most successful. And of course, that success will bring unpopularity with it. That's the way football teams are. But they're also looking to internationalise. They've got deals with the likes of Aston Martin and UNICEF. So they're telling a very different story about their team on and off the pitch. As I say, my name is Richard Clark. You can find me on all social media at Mr. Richard Clark. E on the end of Clark. And my website is mrrichardclark.com. I'm a consultant in sports content, social media, digital marketing, communication strategy. If you need me, just let me know via my website. A little request, I'm looking for more reviews for this podcast. We're up to the mid-80s now, so three figures is within sight, but I have very few reviews given the size of my audience, or what the metrics say my audience is. So if you could pop on and give me a review, uh, five stars pretty please, but hey, it's up to you. And uh, That would help spread the word on this podcast. So those are my asks over. Without further ado, let's talk Malaysian football and the problems of success and the stories you need to tell around that with this man. My name is Vijay, uh, Vijay Vic. I work for Jodhra Kanzim FC Football Club as the uh, head of content and I also manage the media operations. I've been here for three years after being a journalist for about eight years, working through newspapers, online portals and finally a uh, brand uh, such as 442 and uh, Fox JDT, as they're known, are the best team in Malaysia by some way. So tell me about their recent history. It's actually a relatively new club if you compare to all the other clubs. It's been around uh, only since 2013 when the Crown Prince of Johor decided to consolidate uh, football in Johor and uh, put out one strong force. So he's sort of rebranded football in Johor and uh, established JDT. Since then, uh, it's only been it's only been going up. Uh, we've been winning league titles. We've won seven in a row now, and we are about well, we're going for our eight. We're about four matches away and uh, just four points away actually from. Uh, an eighth title. We've on the Asian stage. We've won the AFC Cup, which is the equivalent to the Europa League in Europe. We're just playing in the Champions League. Uh, we've played three seasons now, but uh, well, actually it's two seasons. Uh, one season we had to pull out after a match because of the COVID pandemic. We haven't really got going. Haven't really got things going in that competition yet. But we know where we stand uh, compared to the teams here from Japan, uh, Korea, or Middle East, who are stronger. And right now, our main focus is just to make sure we can compete and we're not there just to make up the numbers. Uh, and things are looking good. Uh, of infrastructure, we've sort of revolutionized Malaysian football and brought in more professionalism with uh, proper support staff, proper infrastructure, like 
the simple stuff, like even a training ground, a lot of teams, well, not all, all the teams didn't even have a dedicated training ground. Uh, we came in, we have a training ground now. We've actually got three training grounds. We've got a few stadiums uh, and uh, things are really looking good on and off the field for us as well. And social media wise, um, 1.4 million on Instagram, 2.8-ish on Facebook, a uh, quarter of a million on Twitter. Um, how, have you, how have you grown that? Because you're a new club, right? And um, so I presume... Yeah the depth of support hasn't been there. So you've had to grow it from scratch. Is that fair to say? And, and, and if so, how have you done it? Frankly, when I came on board three years ago, you know, they were already hitting uh, in total about maybe 3 million users. Today, we're about 4.5 uh, across all the platforms put together. Uh, what we have done is the club, because it's successful and because we have an owner that wants to do things out of the norm in Malaysia, or, or even basically uh, we call ourselves the pioneers in Malaysia because we want to be the first in everything we do. So we've done that. The big things we've done, uh, sometimes even trying to get uh, global attention from outside. We've got an owner that knows uh, basically the who's who's of uh, world football. You've got your football owners of PSG, uh, Barcelona, our president for Barcelona and uh Man City and, and some of the other clubs and even agents, uh, they've actually built a relationship and we've put ourselves in a position where, look here, whenever there's something that happens that's football related where we can tie ourselves to it, we're going to be there and uh, let's capitalize on it. So if the owner of JDT, for instance, meets Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, there's a post on our page and we know that's going to get a bit more traction. Uh, Controversy, we've also been a bit controversial at times as a club. When I say controversial, I mean we're loud. We're not, we're not afraid to state what we think about things. Uh, if we think that a certain culture in Malaysian football needs to change, then we say it out. Uh, and those kind of things kind of attract a lot of people to share that. And, and basically from there, we keep building numbers. And every year, it's the, the same thing. We... We try to come up with content. Uh, for example, if it's a jersey launch, okay, how do we make this year's video better than last year? That more people share it, and when more people share it, there's a high tendency of people clicking the follow button as well. Uh, another thing that I would bring up is we have players from abroad. Uh, from abroad, uh, we signed an Indonesian player, and that brought us some uh, some traction on social media as well. Of course, signing him was a technical matter, but from a social media or from a commercial point, we saw that, hey, look, yeah, we can make the most out of it on this aspect as well. So let's use him for some uh, promotions and uh, grow our numbers in Indonesia because although we are a Malaysian club, we also want to establish ourselves in the region and in the continent. Uh, one thing that sets us differently from other Malaysian clubs is we want to be international. Uh, even our partners that we've tied up with uh, basically foreign, uh, foreign entities for, uh, or international brands, for example, Nike, Hublot, uh, we've tied up with UNICEF, we've tied up with Aston Martin Racing, uh, and that's the direction that this club wants to take. We want to go out there, and we're not just held in Malaysia, but out there as well, everywhere. Obviously, I worked a couple of years in Indonesian football, and I know obviously the Indonesia versus Malaysia rivalry is a bit like England versus Scotland yeah. in many ways. Um, yeah, and a bit more volatile, actually. Uh, well, yeah, okay, yeah. I, I'm not an expert in it. I just know it's a it's a ding dong, as we as we would say over here, to say say yeah. the least. Uh, but obviously, Indonesia, the much bigger populace, uh, football's by far the number one sport. Um, tremendous numbers you'll get uh, uh, if you tap into the Indi Indonesian market. And one of my frustrations always is the Indonesian football's not quite used that weight of popularity to grow the sports, yes. certainly commercially. So I'm interested in what you've done with your Indonesian players. So let's just dig down into that. What specifically have you done to tap into the market? You talked about the language side, yeah? But anything else? Yeah. 
Uh, okay, financially, we've not entirely tapped into that yet uh, because we've got a lot of constraints at the moment. Even if we want to sell something in Indonesia, it's just log logistically impossible at the moment. Uh, even our jersey sales have been halted because uh, our printing company can't operate uh, due to the regulations here uh, because of the COVID pandemic. But what we've done for now is we're just using uh, the fact that we have this Indonesian player to attract more uh, a bigger fan base in Indonesia, a bigger following. I think we're already well-known in Indonesia. Uh, I understand you, you mentioned about the Malaysia-Indonesia rivalry. Surprisingly, this does not extend to the clubs. It's only at national level. And if you take Indonesia's biggest club, Persija Jakarta, and you take JDT, we don't have any issues with each other. Even when we play, we, we had an away game there. They had they came here and the fans were well. Uh, we received them very well. They received us very well and uh, everything was fine, which was kind of unique as well. And the internationalization, I think it's always difficult for a South Asian country to internationalize because so much of the time, the Premier League is trying to do the opposite, right? For example, the Premier League or Real Madrid or Barcelona, they're touring in countries like Malaysia. They're touring in, in countries like uh, Indonesia, Japan, China, places like that in, it, to grow their brand. So the battlegrounds that the, that the Western clubs have are actually South Asia and the US. Um, so um, it's, it's different for a club to have uh, taken on such a tactic so early in their history. I mean, the J-League, I know, is looking to, 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 to expand its reach within Southeast Asia. Um, I know that much, uh, but that's kind of a very established league with, with very fast success. So, you know, how's that rolled out? I know you're just at the start of it. But how's that internationalization generally rolled out? We talked about Indonesia, but generally, how's it gone so far? And you know, how have you used digital and social to to, to drive it? Uh, okay, at the moment, uh, what we're looking for is awareness and people just to know who we are, uh, because that's how we see it as a start. Because you have to know who we are to even become a fan. And you could become a fan 20 years down the road. It's all right. But the fact is, you're starting to know who we are. And if you look at beyond Indonesia, uh, of course, in the region, uh, I think we're popular because everyone talks about uh, strong clubs in Southeast Asia. And you've got a lot of uh, news channels which are integrated. Uh, well, news web football websites, uh, which are integrated around the region. So regionally, Apart from Indonesia, I think we're covered in that sense in terms of raising the brand awareness. If you look at outside the region, uh, the other parts of Asia, for now, looking at uh, competing in the AFC Champions League, uh, we believe that being there will get us some mileage and some people starting to take note about of us and saying, hey, this is a club from Malaysia, uh, they've won so much and uh, in Malaysia, we've done, uh, we've, we've achieved so much, and uh, a lot of people focus at just the success. But if someone from outside Southeast Asia were to look at this region and say, "Okay, look here, where can we go for the best football facilities in Southeast Asia?" and I think JDT will be the first option because of the facilities we've built and how we have promoted that on social media. We've, we've been very brazen in saying in saying that this is the best football training center in Southeast Asia. This is the best uh, sports medical center in Southeast Asia. Uh, this is the best football stadium in Southeast Asia. Uh, we've gone, we've been as brazen as that. Uh, and we actually genuinely believe that we've got the best facilities in Southeast Asia. Uh, in fact, if you ask me, I think we have some of the best football facilities in Asia, uh, perhaps some Middle Eastern countries or some clubs in Japan could, could be on par with us, but uh, apart from that, we are definitely right there when you mentioned uh, football facilities, uh, a football club, uh, uh, having a brand itself. Uh, in terms of expanding beyond, uh, if you look at Europe and the rest, it's very difficult to build a fan base, but it's not impossible to raise awareness. And 
Some of it has been through the relationship that the owner of JDT has had with other owners. For example, when we won one of our cups here, Leicester City during a Premier League match had congratulated Joel Tagzim for winning uh, the uh, Malaysia Cup or FA Cup. It was not paid for. It was purely because of relationships between the two owners, uh, the Thai owners of Leicester and uh, the Crown Prince of Joe have a relationship through Polo. And it's, it's something like that, we of course capitalized and made the most out of it. And until today, we keep repeating it. Uh, of course, in, in some posters or what, when, when there is some context to it. Uh, I have our badge on a Polo team in Argentina, actually the among the best polo teams in Argentina, uh, Alestina, because the Crown Prince plays polo in Argentina as well, and he's associated to the team. And there's a small group there, or, or rather the polo uh, following in Argentina knows about or knows of JDT and that we exist um, and, and, and things like that. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has tagged us uh, before. Uh, Luis Figo has come here for a football match, has appeared has appeared in uh, some commercials we've done. We've had Cannavaro, Nesta. Uh, we even had the JDT All-Stars where we had 12 footballers who were at the top of the game from the 90s. And the 90s were the times where I was growing up watching football. And, and I was fortunate to be given the opportunity to play in that JDT All-Stars. And imagine walking in there and seeing, hey, these are the players that I used to idolize. There was Edgar Davids, uh, Rivaldo, uh, Luis Figo couldn't come. We, we, had, we had six World Cup winners in total. And they're obviously going to share about the match on their social media as well. And that's going to raise our brand to some extent. Uh, Cost-wise, we didn't spend exorbitantly. Uh, and at the same time, we dedicated all proceeds to charity as part of our CSR. So it was like a win-win on a multiple front for us you talked about being brazen with your attitude just to use your word brazen that strikes me as against the grain in southeast asia where humility and is is yes. the name of the game so just put that into context for me you know how how much have you pushed against the norm and um how's that been received uh, it's been a challenge to be honest uh that's why I say sometimes that as much as we are the most successful, as much as we are the biggest club in Malaysia, we are still probably the most hated club in Malaysia because of, number one, the success we've had, and number two, how we've put ourselves out there. And we know that fans of other teams are never, ever going to support us. So there's no point in them having to like us as well, as long as our fan base keeps growing and because football in Malaysia is very state orientated, you know that you're going to have that consistent flow of fans supporting the club. Uh, even 20 years down the road, someone's going to be born in Johor and his first club is 90% of the time it's going to be JDT because that's a club which he can associate himself. And uh, a lot of times, a lot of statements have been, uh, well, not statements, sometimes it's the simplest things of the ways of signing a player, uh, Malaysian football until today, uh, there's very little, there are transfers of players moving from one club to another, but it's not a transfer. It's not a transfer whereby two clubs agreed in fee because players sign short-term contracts. So we came in and like, hey, look here, you know what? I think it's time that we, let's offer players a, a longer contract and or, or a simple thing is we had a striker last year who was not scoring that many goals, but he was contributing very much to the team, creating a lot of goals, being involved in play a lot. And for the fans or, or some sections, it's like, oh, he's not a good striker because he's not scoring. So we had to come up and say, hey, no, look, look at this is a very this is a good striker because of this, 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 this. You've been linked with Falcao. Um, what would that do, do you think? to the profile of JDT and how would you handle it? Because he would be the standout player, not only in Malaysia, but in, I would argue, it, 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 you can make a case for him in, in Southeast Asia. Maybe there's some players in the J League, but um, 
he's a big name, right? He'll need handling, but he'll need positive exploitation in terms of promotion and things like that. So how would you do it, do you think? Uh, all right. Uh, firstly, I'd just like to state that we actually issued a denial saying that we have not been in contact with okay. Falcao. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'll just answer your question for, on a figure. Yeah, it's, it's just an example. It's just an example of the player, that, yeah. the type of player that you're starting to be linked with. That's my point, really. Yeah, uh, we've actually had marquee players. Uh, the club signed Daniel Goiza in its first year, and this was a uh, 2008 European Championship winner. The following year, the club signed Pablo Aima. Didn't quite work out uh, after four or five months. Uh, he... I think it was, I can't really remember why it may have been a settling in or uh, it was the end of the contract or it was something like that. So, but he never really made a big mark. Then we have Luciano Figueroa as well. I would say these are the three biggest names we've had. I'd probably put Falcao in the same category as Luisa, uh, uh, actually all three of them. Uh, well, it's going to be a big challenge because we're going to be getting interview requests from, from all around. For us, of course, our first priority is the club. And we know that Fakao as a brand will sell by himself. So uh, we would be able to cap, uh, we would be able to tap into those fans as well. At the very least, maybe get them to sign up, buy a JDT jersey with Fakao. On, on the back of it. Um, apart from that, I think someone like Falcao, we would be needing to do more activities just to show and basically just just to brag and, well, not really brag, but uh, basically just to put it out there that he's here at JDT. The Digital Marketing and Analytics for Sports Professionals course is your road to digital excellence in sports. Take this unique opportunity to be at the forefront of digital trends and developments in the sports industry. In this unique 20-hour annual recurring program, we introduce various digital marketing tools and discuss global best practice to help you build long-term digital strategies. This live and on-demand program is brought to you by Track powered by Victoria University in Australia and in collaboration with Sports Cloud International. This year's program starts on August 31st, 2021. Sign up at digitalmarketingforsports.com.au. That's digitalmarketingforsports.com.au or follow the link in the show notes for this episode. And you mentioned the partnership with Aston Martin. That's that. That is fascinating because um, certainly my experience in Indonesia, there was a struggle to exploit, as I say, positively exploit commercial partnerships for all sorts of reasons. But you know, that's a top level brand, and I would argue that partnership is 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 lifting JDT onto another level. It may be relationships with the with the Crown Prince, as as you said. But how does that partnership work? Because it is fascinating to see such a high-level blue ribbon brand associated with, with all due respect, a Malaysian football team. Yeah. Uh, well, to, frankly, I think it was a surprise and shock to everyone, in, even in Malaysia. And even at the club, and when we first heard it, we were like, wow. Uh, we signed with Aston Martin Racing Asia, uh, who were looking to expand their brand in this region. It wasn't entirely a sponsorship, but it's more of a partnership thing. Uh, we are, of course, uh, we will, of course, benefit financially as well because uh, Aston Martin has agreed to come up with uh, JDT-themed cars, uh, however many we want, uh, however many we want for us to sell. And... Basically, the profits are split between Aston Martin and us. So that's one financial aspect of it. Uh, it's still a very new partnership. We only signed with them last month. So we're still working out uh, uh, logo placements and uh, activation programs and such. I reckon, uh, well, 
we did announce this as well, that this partnership potentially opens up to other areas that not only may benefit the club, but may benefit the state of Johor. Uh, because, uh, well, as you know, the club is owned by the Crown Prince of Joe and he's got interest in the state. Uh, this is also more of a, a partnership that builds a relationship between uh, Johor, JDT, the Crown Prince and Aston Martin. Uh, I, I reckon or one of the things that could possibly be down the pipeline is Joe, Joe is coming up with a Formula One certified racing track. And that's another potential area that could interest Aston Martin in the future. Uh, I don't know, but uh, right now, what I do know is both parties are leaving a lot of doors open uh, to see how we can work and make this deal uh, grow in, in years to come. Because if they have plans, because we're quite strategically located as well, we're right next to Singapore, uh, and, and that sort of helps economically as well, because those are the areas that give us a slight advantage uh, when we want to speak to foreign investors or, or companies and brands. And, and of course, it's that professional way that we carry ourselves compared to other Malaysian teams or perhaps even other Southeast Asian teams. And just tell me about the way the Malaysian League works in terms of media access. What's the, what's the normal uh, press interest? Actually, just tell me about the crowds as well, the, the JDT crowds and other crowds what what's the league like generally and just and media access and media interest how high is it sometimes it's full sometimes it's not uh, it, it depends on what match it is whether we are playing uh, and that's even for us JDT whether we are playing uh, a state rival or whether we are playing uh, a small club if you're playing a small club then uh, fans don't turn up uh, in droves, but if you're playing, for example, if you're playing a rival such as Pahang or Trungano, then it's a full house. Uh, our stadium is 35,000 and we can fill up 35,000. We have filled up 35,000, but only twice, unfortunately, because uh, it's a new stadium. Right after we opened up, uh, the country went into a lockdown and we have not seen big crowds ever since. Other parts of the league, uh, it's pretty much the same as well. When it's two big teams playing, it's a full house. Uh, when it's two small teams playing, it's uh, not many. In terms of TV numbers, on average, we get maybe five, 600,000 people watching uh, a normal match live on maybe, say, YouTube or, or an app. Uh, if it's a cup final, as many as 1.5 million people are glued to the TV. Uh, for a big match, I, I dare say that as much as the English Premier League is very big in Malaysia, if you look at numbers or during live telecast, the live telecast of a top-tier Malaysian match would be, uh, say, a derby uh, in England. It, it, I, I mean, in terms of live coverage here in Malaysia. But it's two different uh, groups of people as well, uh, different uh, demographics, and these people are more interested in foreign football. This, and you've got the larger majority who are uh, interested in Malaysian football. So it, it's kind of a different mix. Like, for example, I've got friends who don't follow Malaysian football at all, uh, and, but are huge football fans and follow uh, English Premier League. They, they could probably name you all teams, all 20 managers, uh, some even their starting 11, but they will not be able to name you the 12 teams in the Malaysian Super League. So, uh, but, and we have the other way around as well. And is it a working class sport? Is it a, a CD sport in that sense? Uh, it is. Uh, well, it is a working class sport. Uh, I think uh, it is the most followed sport in Malaysia. It's, it's easy to pick up. Uh, but unfortunately, there's, there's always grouses that Malaysian football has just never taken the step forward, uh, has never taken, uh, has never made the most out of it. One thing which we have sort of done is we as a club has sort of grabbed the attention, not really the following, but the attention and of the fans who are very foreign football based. So the people who follow only the EPL or the Spanish league, they're starting to know that, oh, there is a Malaysian club called JDT and they seem to be doing things right. They seem to be having things uh, proper. They seem to be having a good stadium. Uh, it's the club of the Crown Prince. Uh, 
they, they seem to be winning. So we're starting to get some awareness in that group as well. And that, that group has sort of brought us some hope that say, hey, we are actually in the right direction. We, we're going away and make, taking that step, that leap uh, out of Malaysia. And I think on the field, we've done it as well because we've gone to the AFC Cup uh, and, and won it. And that raised a lot of eyebrows as well. And that was actually our first year in Asian competition. In terms of social media, what's what's popular? What works for you? In, in Indonesia, it was all about Instagram. It was pretty much all about Instagram. And Twitter was quite low. YouTube was high. But what's the span? And, and so you know, tell me about the, the main ones. And then the TikToks of this world, the Snapchats of this world, are they, are they flying as well? And, and you know, there's also the specific Southeast Asian uh, platforms such as Line and, and things like that. So uh, what's popular? Uh, all right. It, it's, I think it's the same as, uh, as a lot of countries in Europe. We, we're kind of general in that Line. And Line is not very popular in Malaysia. Right? It's the basic Facebook's pretty much 80% of social media is on Facebook. Uh, and this was uh, based on a research I, I just read the other day. And the balance are Instagram, Twitter, and, and TikTok. Uh, TikTok is a very small community, but it is growing to some extent. Twitter, is, uh, Twitter has a large group, but I find the Twitter space in Malaysia or Southeast Asia a bit toxic uh, to some extent compared to Instagram or Facebook. Uh, and this I based from the comments, the responses, and the interactions on, on Twitter. And Twitter, it's like basically all out war, people airing their grouses, people complaining about this and, and that. Whereby Instagram, it's more people being happy with what we post and, uh, and, and saying, yeah, well done, you posted this and, and sharing the good stuff. Facebook, you, you tend to get a, a bit of both. <coughs> Uh, but generally, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are the main social media platforms uh, in Malaysia. How do you deal with toxic toxicity if you're talking about Twitter, for example, but across all the platforms? You said you're, you're the most hated team in Malaysia, you know, because maybe because yeah. of attitude. But in England, if a team had won seven titles in a row, everyone would be praying for them to lose and celebrating yeah, I know, I, every defeat. I, so how do you handle that? I'm a United fan, so I know how it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really hard. Uh, you see that... Differentiate the comments which are constructive, the comments which have no basis but can still be engaged, and the comments which are just not worth your time engaging. And, and these are basically the comments which are rude. And we don't have one thing JDT as a club because of the way the state demographics is. We do not have racist comments on our page by our fans. And uh, this is not the same case in other parts of Malaysia. Uh, but this is something in Johor. It's because of how Johor has been and uh, over the years to whether it's the royal family or the state government and how the people here have been. I've not seen a racist comment on our page from our fans attacking our players or I've not heard it. So, but from, from our, our outside fans, of course, you, you'd get them or Sometimes it's not, not just about racism, racism, it's just outright being someone criticizing something but not having any point and it's basically just basically them just cursing out there. So those ones you could just hide, block, delete, ignore and, and whatever. Uh, the ones which are constructive we see as a club, do we respond as a club or do I use my personal account or anyone else individually responding to it or... Uh, maybe a club ambassador or well, we don't have official ambassadors but uh, we've got sort of unofficial fan, uh, some group of fans who are very close to the club and we are on the same page and they understand so sometimes they respond for us uh, sometimes we don't even need to tell them or bring it to their attention and they're like uh, they go on, on autopilot and there are times where Comments such as, uh, for example, we sign the best talent in Malaysia. Hands down, if there are 30 of the best players in Malaysia, we would sign all 30 possible. That's the stand that this club has taken. Uh, 
of course, there, there are a lot of technical arguments, which I'd leave it for another, it's not my forte. Um, so what fans say is like, oh, you're just signing players and play, you're just keeping them and you're not playing them. So what we do, we come up with stats of them actually playing. Uh, for example, we've got a striker who hasn't been playing that much this season and maybe last season, but a few seasons ago, he was playing and we've got stats from that. And Malaysia has this problem of not having a center forward. Uh, all, the, all the local teams play a foreign striker. So we do not have a proper center forward. And there's this one player at our club who was playing on the wing uh, at his previous club and played for the national team. And fans are going like, look here, since he made the move, Malaysia doesn't have a striker. So what we do is like, hey, look here, he, the last he played a striker was when he was in his youth days with the youth team. When he came into professional football, he was playing as a winger. He was never a striker. Uh, that, that, that's one way of putting it. And the other way of putting it is we come up with stats of how, how long he has played, how many minutes he's played, uh, the other thing is like, oh, we give, uh, we use, uh, we don't rotate our players. So what we did was we came up with stats showing all the game times of all the players to show that there is actually a rotation because sometimes some of those comments, it's just more of just emotions without any real basis to it. So we pick and choose what we can, uh, what we can uh, respond to some of it as a club, some of it uh, as an individual, whether it's me or another official or another fan. So we try and we try and tackle all those as much as possible. And where does CSR fit into your overall content <clears throat> strategy? Obviously, you're established and run by Crown Prince. He's trying to part of his job is to um or what, what what he sees as his job is to unify the state of Johor I know you've done some content with UNICEF Malaysia so it would strike me that CSR it's important at all football clubs but it strikes me as really important to you and the way you're trying to project yourself is is that right and just expand on that if you yeah definitely uh We've actually done CSR from the early years of the club. Uh, this is well before I came on board. Uh, the, J the JDT owner has been very... Uh, uh, he's placed a lot of importance on that as well. Uh, we've got CSR projects within Johor and we've got CSR projects outside of Johor. Uh, basically, within Johor, we've... we've given out aid to flood victims or, uh, for example, during COVID, uh, what we did was as a club, all the players took a cut in their salaries and donated that portion to the Johor Disaster Fund. Uh, as a club, we, uh, we've got a, we've got a, a, a well, a, a slight spin-off called Yayasan JDT, which basically is JDT Foundation and They've got, they got members and they do outreach programs like uh, food banks, uh, collecting funds, and uh, as and when necessary, it, it could even be a campaign uh, at schools, uh, with the fans, with, with uh, helping out at, elder, uh, at elderly homes. Uh, that's one thing we do. Uh, in terms of flood victims and victims of natural disaster, uh, as a club, we've helped uh, we, have, we have helped even when other states are affected by providing sometimes manpower, sometimes uh, uh, financial, sometimes uh, just uh, goods, whether it's food or clothes, uh, sometimes all, all three of it. Uh, when we played the, when we had the JDT All-Stars, what we did was we donated all proceedings to three charities and those three charities were a cancer institution uh, uh, sorry, a Johor Cancer Institution, uh, a Johor Cancer Foundation, a National Cancer Foundation, and the Women's, uh, Women's and Child Aid Organization. So we've done things like that. And with UNICEF, what we've done is we actually have them on our jerseys. Uh, and we're actually very proud of it because uh, there's only a few clubs around the world that have had UNICEF. And the thing with tying up a, a company like UNICEF is 
it's not just any Tom, Dick and Harry that, that they will sign up with. They're going to do your, their background checks and see. So for us, uh, we use that as a selling point to our fans and to everyone and saying, look here, we pass UNICEF's stringent uh, test. Uh, and uh, what we've done is we've done, we have collaborated to raise funds for the benefit of children. Uh, it's been kind of slow uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've not been able to do any uh, real engagement programs uh, on the ground, but we have done on social media. We just did a Say Yes to Vaccination campaign and uh, attracted over half a million well, we've had, uh, we reached over about half a million people <clears throat> from that campaign, and we will be looking at other activation programs uh, over the next few months and uh, even next year. I should have asked this at the start, actually, but how big is your team? How big is your content team? Uh, all right, I've got about 20 people. Did you say 20? Yeah. Okay. So in what skills? Uh, and, and, and this involves, uh, I've, got, well, I've got about three, four designers. We've got about six, seven photographers, uh, six videographers, a uh, couple of writers, and uh, eight, uh, maybe another two translators, because we, we work in a dual language. We do in the local language and English. So uh, if, if we put all of them together, it would be about 20, uh, 20 of us. And this is purely content. Uh, I'll include the media team, media officer as well in that 20 because she comes up with uh, excellent content at times. It's a big team. <laughs> it's a big team in relative terms. Yeah. But, uh, but obviously, you, you know, you're part of your shtick, your club brand is to be the biggest and best in Malaysia. And what's the best piece of content you've done? What are you most proud of in terms of content? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, there's actually quite a number, to be honest. Uh, uh, if I were to pull up, Top of my head, I think uh, the jersey launch this year was something that uh, we usually have uh, jersey launches. Uh, we have an event, invite people in, uh, get the fans to come in and, and get a few thousand people in and, and all that. And this year, we couldn't do that and we could only focus on a video. So what we did was we, we had to like really plan and tease tease our fans and inform them and say this is coming up build up the hype of the jerseys and uh, with our jerseys this year we had sort of a diamond pattern on it and this was and then uh, what I I did some research and this was purely coincidence I did some research and it was the 125th anniversary of the Johor crown which is encrusted in 3,000 over diamonds and we were like, hey, you know what? Let's, we found a similarity here. Let's play on it. So we, we played like Diamonds Are Forever, uh, Shine Shine Bright Like a Diamond, a picture of the Johor Crown because we've got an arch here with the Johor Crown. And, uh, and it basically teased all the way until the, uh, until the launch of the video. And that video hit over 1 million views in uh, less than two or three days. So that was like three times the amount of closest competitor in terms of social media got in one month. For us, that, that was a hit. In terms of campaigns, uh, another campaign which I, I'm actually quite proud of was the JDT All-Stars. Uh, the entire plan came about overnight and in two days, uh, the management team had already secured players to play during that match and from a communication side, what we had done was we had already planned out, and this was just two weeks before the match. We had already planned out our schedule for the next two weeks and how we were going to hype it up, uh, hype it up, uh, what contests we we're going to run, and we even came up with, you know what, let's get two fans, let's give two fans an opportunity to play in that match. Uh, this this idea actually came from the owner of JDT himself. Uh, uh, actually, a lot of ideas at the club. Uh, keys behind a lot of ideas in the club so it makes to be honest it makes my job easier sometimes because when i go to to him with an idea it's like yes it's a brilliant idea you know what let's add this 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 and make it even better like oh yeah great why did i think of that or, or, or sometimes it's i go with an idea like no you know what i think let's do this 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 and 
actually what he suggested was actually a better idea, which I did not think of or anyone else didn't think of. Uh, sometimes it's also because we think that maybe we couldn't pull it off, but if it comes from him, uh, we know that we're going to pull it off because it's not just us working to pull it off. It's, it's everyone at the club working to pull it off. Uh, so yeah, we had content all the way. Uh, uh, we were quite confident of filling up the stadium. And uh, at that time we were playing at our old stadium, which only had about 18,000 and we, we filled that up quite easily. And uh, it was a success. It was a very successful night. We even had a follow-up day event, a coaching clinic, uh, session with the media uh, we had so what we our communications team had uh, planned was we planned when the players come in how are we going to do it uh, the initial idea was a press conference and I actually shut that down because I'm like look here we've got 12 players coming in we can't have a press conference with all 12 of them sitting on stage if we do that it's going to be a case of each player maybe getting one question two questions and that's about it and it's also going to be a case of you're going to have players that are not going to be asked any question. So what we did was we had a sort of a cocktail session with the players and the media. We had the players, at, we had 12 players, and if I'm not mistaken, we had only eight coming in for the interview because four of them were on a later flight. So we had eight different tables, and I split up the media groups, and I said, look here, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go to one table, spend maybe 10 minutes and then you're going to move and you're just going to go like a musical chair so everyone gets as much content if you want to stay with that player just let me know and i'll just make some arrangements so at the end of the day everyone gets who they want i can make sure every player gets interviewed so there's eight different stories well there's actually going to be more than eight different stories because each of them has interviewed everyone and you've got different agencies so you may have up to maybe 20 or 30 different angles from that one session as opposed to having uh, one press conference. And uh, I think uh, we took, we, we carried that out very well. Uh, I don't think uh, we could have done that any better compared to what we did. Last question, because you're in a really privileged position in terms of content. You've got a big team and you've got an owner that's backing you with ideas, backing you with resources, opening up doors for you. So final question, where do you want to take this? Because it strikes me, in content terms, you've got more opportunities than most. You've got, you can go in different directions and and just try and grow this this new, very successful club. So, where do you want to take it in, say, five years? Where do you want to be in five years? All right. At the moment, I'll start with at the moment. Uh, at the moment, what we're doing is we have only recently started figuring out ways to engage our fans better. Uh, and this includes, uh, well, we, we, we're trying to beef up our fan engagement uh, division. And this includes maybe newsletters to the fans and a more day-to-day -day interaction with the fans. Or if they attend the stadium, maybe they get, they get a message from us and, and, and things like that. Uh, if, if you ask me in five years, uh, I'll have to see where, well, on the field, of course, as a club, we want the team to go bigger and higher, but off the field, social media, uh, I, I personally would like to double our numbers and perhaps think that someday we would be able to challenge Indonesia in terms of numbers because the Indonesian football numbers and following is just crazy. Uh, and I think apart from top clubs in Europe, which it's going to be very hard for us in Asia to, to challenge that I think even if we win the AFC Champions League, it's just going to be that difficult to compete with the likes of Manchester United, Liverpool, Barcelona, and Real Madrid and all that for, for popularity. But in Asia, we, we would love to be able to have a brand on and off the field. Uh, and I'd speak specifically off the field uh, that a lot of, countries in Southeast Asia would, uh, well, not just Southeast Asia, in Asia itself will know, not by then, not just know of the brand, but know quite a bit in detail ADT and are following us. And, and hopefully that sets the path for maybe 20 years down the road or 10 years down the road as growing our fan base and becoming a really well-known uh, Asian club. And 
I, I don't think there is, but there, there are Asian clubs which are popular, but none, there aren't many Asian clubs which are popularly known in Europe. I can't think of any, actually. Could you? Well, I know that Percy Bandung are, in terms of social media following, they're around Leicester City, into Milan, not far from Tottenham level, yeah. Percy Bandung, but they have no presence within Europe. Um, I think some of the Japanese yeah. teams, you might have a little bit of, a little bit of um, yeah. brand recognition around them. The Chinese teams got some PR because they were signing big players, but really, not not yeah. much, not much at all, not much at all. Yeah. Um, so. Well, yeah, I actually forgot about the teams, but uh, that's a very short. I, I don't think that's gonna last because if you look at the Chinese teams, it, it's already on the downhill, uh, and uh, yeah. popularity of the Chinese teams, are, I think, are, are gonna die because it, it was too instant and what we would like to have is a natural growth because that sort of establishes the foundations and keeps you there for a longer time. Yes. Yeah. Very little Asian sport actually comes across. I mean, I think the one championship is making inroads as an, as an Asian product. And of course the IPL, the Indian cricket league yeah. is, is the best in the world. If you're including Australia, it's slight, slightly different. That's a bit, a little bit more Western in its field with the, with the big bash, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah and the state of origin and things like that. But in terms of Southeast Asia, very little of, of, of those um, uh, sports come across. The odd individual, like Manny Pacquiao, for example, coming out of the Philippines, but he's come to America yeah. to make his fame. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's slightly different. We've got to be realistic as well and know as much as we do, there's just some things that we're not going to tap into. We're not going to tap into uh, and be bigger than the big clubs in Europe, we're not going to have a larger following than that. But uh, what we would love is being recognized, uh, being a recognizable brand. If people look at the logos, like, hey, that's that's JDT. And for us, I think that's already a huge success, which in Southeast Asia, I, I dare say this, that this brand is very recognizable wherever you go in Southeast Asia, uh, especially among the football following in Southeast Asia. BJ Vic, yeah. thank you very That's much. That's about it. Thanks, Richard. It was a pleasure. You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com.